Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 57th episode, and I'm here after what was a great weekend in Barcelona. But before I review the Spanish Grand Prix, first, a quick reminder, as always, check out the link tree in the description, guys. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast. It also has my YouTube channel, Break Bias Twitter, which I actually got going again this weekend, doing live updates during the Grand Prix. If you want to see what I think while you're watching, there's an opportunity for that there. Um, my TikTok channel, which I promise will be up and running again, still dealing with the water in my basement, if you remember when that happened a month or two ago. Um, but also, on that link tree, my email address, if you'd like to contact me. Perhaps you could be featured on this podcast if you want to be. Uh, also, my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, if you want to see what I'm doing outside of the podcast. Now, some called it boring, but personally... I loved every bit of the action in Spain, um, but maybe that's just my Mercedes fandom talking. But anyway, let's talk about it. And as ever, we talk about the storylines heading into the Spanish Grand Prix. I think probably the biggest one, well, I think there's kind of been this storyline going on for a few weeks now, waiting for the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, for all the teams to see the fruits of their labor with their major upgrades. Um, But before that, I think the other biggest story is McLaren poaching Red Bull's chief engineering officer, Rob Marshall. I think this is great. I think a lot of other teams should be trying to get any Red Bull personnel that they possibly can because there's something that they clearly understand that All the other teams just aren't understanding at the moment. Red Bull is just so far ahead. And I I honestly think the way that all the teams have been speaking about their performance, I think also they're kind of all agreeing. You know, the performance comes from the floor. The side pods don't matter. I know that's mostly been a Mercedes narrative, but that's just because they dominate the headlines. All the other teams have been saying this as well. And I talked about it again. I really do think that the drivability of the Red Bull is just what makes it also just another beast. Um, but anyway, I don't, I'm not going to break down, you know, the the technical part of the Red Bull. You know, I'm not an expert, but I just think that all other teams should be doing this. And, and Rob Marshall has been part of Red Bull for years since their inception in 2006. I always forget if it's 2005, 2006 for Red Bull. I think it's 2006, um, but still insane um play for for mclaren there to get someone like him um although i have heard that people think that this could be potentially because mclaren might be signing with ford for a 2026 engine deal now that is a total rumor um and just speculation that i've heard from just a few people to be fair um but i think that speculation is fair um and i never would have thought of it so you know credit to uh those people who um, kind of threw that rumor out there. and the, it's, not, it's not even a rumor. It's just people thinking that, like, oh, maybe this is why um, Rob, you know, is Red Bull's basically allowing Rob to leave because I've heard it. They, they gave their blessing for them to go to McLaren. Um, so it seems as if there would maybe be something that Red Bull's getting out of it. But anyway, um, moving on to, I think, definitely the most exciting part for everyone, not just McLaren fans, and it is the major upgrades finally seeing at what was the test track before in F1, right? So 
This is a great place to see how your uh, new bits on your car are going to perform. And most teams had it prepared for Imola and ended up bringing it to Monaco. Ferrari was not one of those teams. They actually brought upgrades here to Spain. And they also kind of abandoned their, uh, what do people call it? Like the bath, the bath, not bathtub. Um, I, I can't think of the word. Little like bird bath. Uh, that's not the word. But anyway, everyone knows the Ferrari side pods at this moment, what they look like. And they have gone to a much more Red Bull approach now as well. And done some other things on their floor edge and, and whatnot. So it was going to be interesting to see what they um, are going to look like. Are they still going to have those same issues with uh, tire degradation that they just seem to always have? Are they still going to be the same qualifying beast that they've been? Um, really good in the slow corners, struggling a bit in the high speed. Um, we didn't know, but that was definitely something to look out for because I think with everyone moving towards the Red Bulls, they're also trying to get the characteristics of the Red Bull. Like, for example, the anti-dive was something that was talked about for like weeks on the Red Bull. Um, and it's part of the reason why they're so, so nice on their tires during the race, but they do struggle a bit with warm-up and qualifying. So it was interesting to see with everyone going towards Red Bull if they would also fall off in qualifying a bit because they're starting to acquire some of the Red Bull uh, characteristics. So anyway, it was just something for maybe some people that like the technical sport of of or technical aspect of the sport. Sorry, um, a little bit more. It, it would have been an interesting thing to look out for. But we will get to uh, how Ferrari performed this weekend shortly. Um, also, just a quick note, of course, home races. I always like to point these out. Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz. I think that is also. Um, always what makes the Spanish Grand Prix something to look forward to is because they're passionate fans. They absolutely love their home drivers. Um, so that was awesome. And with no French Grand Prix, uh, Esteban Ocon actually sees the Spanish Grand Prix as a bit of a home race for himself as well. So just a little thing for you guys to know. He, he actually lived in Spain for a bit. So there you go. But anyway, we're going to skip right over practice. I know I talked a bit of practice last week for the Monaco Grand Prix. Nothing I really want to mention in practice here, so we're going to go straight into the qualifying review, and I, I honestly think this qualifying was pretty spectacular. Um, the running order that we got was quite shocking, I guess, um, and the start of Q1, I think, was the craziest, too. Very interesting start, very cold with some damp parts still on the track, Um F2 had just done some running on there that were in a bit more wetter conditions and it dried up because of all their, you know, cars going over and drying out the track. Um, but still, right away, we got a few drivers go off. You know, Nick DeVries, he spun on the same corner twice. A lot of people struggling with that uphill. Uh, I, I always forget corner numbers and stuff. I, I'm, I don't have the tracks memorized. I do actually have the tracks memorized, but I don't know the corner names and numbers sometimes. I know it's the uphill right-hander um, right before you get that double right-hander onto the, the back straight that was new this year. But anyway, if, if you can't visualize the track like I can, then this is just a bunch of nonsense. But anyway, the same spot on the track. Nick spun twice. A lot of people were struggling there. Bottas went off. Albon went off in a different spot. A few other people too. Um, Alonso on the final corner. I'm not saying this chronologically, all throughout Q1, there was just a bunch of offs. And actually, at the very beginning, 
I think it was for Albon and Bottas, like simultaneously, there was a very quick red flag. Most people were kind of confused why there was a red flag and it was why it was pulled out so fast. Um, it didn't last long and I don't think it hurt anyone too much because the track evolution was so um, large that just none of the laps at the beginning really even mattered anyway. But still, people were kind of critical of that because the red flag did seem a bit fast. But anyway, like I said, the running order here was very unexpected. It just... It really showed that um, the driver can make a really big difference in, in uh, tricky qualifying sessions like this. It was all about knowing how to switch on your tires and prep them for the lap because we saw with drivers who were in great cars that they were limited to the performance of their tires just because they couldn't switch it on. Um, you know, Leclerc was one who really struggled this session. I don't think it was just tire related. Um, there seemed to be something wrong mechanically with his car because he was all over the place. Usually someone who is so good in qualifying was way, way off the pace. Um, Sainz and Russell also struggled a bit. Sainz, to be fair, um, got impeded really badly by Gasly, something that I will get into um, again a little bit later. But they were in the drop zone before their final laps. They, I, I, I think I said Russell already. Sainz and Russell were in the drop zone. They actually were able to get out. Hamilton topped the session because Verstappen actually didn't go out for a final lap, and he dropped down to P7 because, like I said, that track evolution was uh, pretty large. Um, we had Hulkenberg and Norris and Piastri with a blinder of a lap. Um, some some drivers just, you know, switching on those tires, like I said, and, and it really showed in their times. Um, it did not show for Charles Leclerc. He, like I said, was brutal. P19 start for him the worst qualifying probably of his career. Um, and then Bottas, Magnussen, and the Williams pairing joined him in the bottom five. Sargent still, um, it just seems like he he had something going, I think, in Bahrain and Jeddah. But since then, I'm not sure if it's something that's happened to his confidence. or And honestly, it just seems also that the Williams is, has fallen off a little bit. Um, but but I don't know. Uh, just He hasn't really shown much. Uh, lately, I guess, really. He struggled kind of all weekend. But then again, Albon was kind of nowhere here either. So maybe we can just put that down to the Williams struggling. But anyway, I had high hopes for both Bottas and Magnussen. Had them in my grid rival leagues, and they were out in Q1. So I knew I was probably in for a tough weekend in in fantasy. Uh, But anyway, Q2, as I said, Perez and Russell were both kind of uncharacteristically slow throughout quali. And they both had incidents in Q2. Perez went off into the gravel with about two minutes left. It was supposed to be for his final lap. He had to recharge, um, get his tires working again, and go for another lap. And Russell, he, as he was starting a fast lap, I don't know really what happened here, but his launch off the line was so much worse than Lewis's. They were both going for a lap, and Lewis was catching up to him like he was about to pass him. Um, So that was shocking everyone was like what in the world is going on here because it looked like they were racing each other but there were teammates in qualifying it made no sense um Hamilton thought that Russell was getting out of the way I think he tried to go out and then realized holy shit like Russell's not slowing down here so he kind of moved off into the left got damage on his front wing into the back of Russell Russell had no idea Hamilton was coming he was just trying to get around the Ferrari although he if he knew Hamilton was coming, I think he still had space to go around the Ferrari, who was who was clearly not on a lap. 
and then Hamilton still would have had time to go through. But like I said, Russell was on a hot lap. I just don't understand how he was going so slow on the main straight. It was wild how much more speed Hamilton had. But like I said, Russell, I just, I'm not sure he had confidence coming around the final corner at all. And Lewis just had a way better launch, but very weird. And, uh, it cost both Perez and Russell their their qualifying because they were both out. Perez P11, Russell P12. That was pretty shocking. Um, and they were joined by Joe and the Alpha Tauris. Also, guys, Norris, like I said, was one of the drivers just absolutely flying. He was less than two hundredths from Verstappen's top time in Q2. Uh, and Sainz, I think, was only half, uh, half a tenth off Verstappen in Q2. So we're hoping that that was going to mean we're going to get a special Q3. And it was over right when the first lap came. Max Verstappen was the first to set a time, and it was a blinder. The broadcast followed his entire lap because he was the only one out on, well, he wasn't the only one out on track, but he was the only one really setting a lap at the time. And just watching his his movements and, and watching his Red Bull go around the corners, it was majestic. You could tell it was a fantastic lap. No corrections on the wheel. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, and everyone else's first lap was on used tires. Max gapped them by over a second. I, I think it was except for Hamilton, who I can't remember if he was the only one else on new, or if he, either way, he was nine-tenths off still. So Max Verstappen's lap was just fantastic. Um, Fernando Alonso, someone who I haven't really mentioned at all, even though home race, he had an off early in, in Q1, as I said, um, and that compromised his floor. Clearly, just he just wasn't the same guy this weekend because of whatever compromised him. He was P9 in Q3. Not a great session for him. The battle was really for P2 after that Verstappen lap, and I really thought it was going to be Hamilton, but he actually disappointed in his final lap. He was on pace to finish um, in P2, and then in the final sector, he dropped about two-tenths um, behind it was Carlos Sainz and then Norris and then Gasly as well. So all three of them with pretty good qualifying signs in the front row. Norris and Gasly were set for a uh, second row start. Gasly, of course, didn't start there, which, like I said, I'm getting to. Um, but I just want to quickly mention before I break down Gasly, I guess, is uh, Sainz was just under half a second. So pretty much half a second down on Verstappen's banker lap. And like I said, the track evolution was pretty big here. Verstappen was improving on his last lap and backed off. So just think about that. This could have been a, a seven-tenths to pole situation um, if Max hadn't backed off. So pretty wild advantage that Max Verstappen had here while his teammate was just, again, just I, I can't believe that he's he's done this again and not made it to Q3. It's the third time in like the last six races or something like that that Perez in a Red Bull a dominant Red Bull, people are asking the question whether it's the most dominant car of all time, hasn't made it to Q3. It's just unforgivable, like I said, in, in Monaco. But anyway, the Gasly impeding incidents, incidents, plural, because he had a really bad one with with Gasly in, in uh, Q1, or sorry, with Signs. Gasly had a bad one with Signs in Q1. Signs was coming around the double right-hander. It's a really fast corner now. Um, I wouldn't say it's blind, but I wouldn't say you're going pretty fast around uh, pretty much a 90-degree turn. You're not exactly seeing um, who's ahead of you until you're there. And Sainz had to lift in the middle of that corner. It was a, a bit of a dangerous one. And then he also impeded Verstappen in what I think 
was Q2. So two three-place penalties for Gasly, dropping him down six places down to P10. So that moved Hamilton up onto the second row with Norris and, of course, everyone else um, there. Hulkenberg, Ocon, Alonso, Stroll all moved up one place as well. So let's get into the race. Um, it was an interesting qualifying with kind of it, it created a really mixed up order, which is always exciting. And then as I, I didn't watch the pre-race, um, I, I wasn't able to. But as you know, they're they're doing their formation lap and getting ready, making their drives to the grid. Russell, um, so I should said formation lap. It's not the formation lap. It's the reconnaissance lap, is what I think they call it. Basically, when the cars go out of the pits then get into their spot on the grid, and then that's when, you know, Brundle does his grid walk and, and all that. Um, on that reconnaissance lap, where Perez actually, I think he spun and crashed in 2021 in Spa, if you remember that, and then the race didn't happen, so then he basically lost out. He, he had to finish, like, last place because he crashed on the reconnaissance lap, and, and Red Bull had to do uh, repairs on his car. Anyway, just explaining what that is, Russell went off into the gravel. He was able to keep it going, so he didn't have a... Perez moment but really weird to see a driver go off in that lap when you know there's not wet conditions so very strange but also as we're getting ready for the race to start tire dag was reported to be pretty high most of the field started on softs and they were expecting a two maybe three stop race and I was like oh my this is awesome news mixed up order two three stop race with varying strategies at the start you know um, Verstappen Perez Leclerc and I think Sargent were the only drivers not to start on the softs so that was awesome to see but anyway we're getting to the start of the race here for Stappen and Sainz get equal getaways and it was a pretty aggressive defense from Max to keep the lead um, honestly I think it was pretty much what he did to Hamilton back in 2021 if you remember that basically if you just dive up the inside you'll push the driver out onto uh the edge and they just get a horrible exit also on onto uh the kind of long curved straight so if you do that and you get away with it um and the stewards are always pretty lenient on lap one you get a pretty big advantage so max holds it um that way um so good job from him i guess because that was the only thing that basically could have slowed him down that afternoon uh Right behind them, Hamilton overtook Norris at the start. And as Norris thought he had a gap kind of going around turn two, he, I don't want to say sends it up the inside, but I think he just saw a little gap there and thought that he was going to have space to run there. But he just runs right into the back of Hamilton's tire. Hamilton very lucky to not get a puncture, but Russell unf or Norris unfortunately gets damaged, gets his front wing stuck in his car as well basically just ends his afternoon his race was over right after he boxed super unfortunate after such a great qualifying he basically trumbled around at the at the end or at the back of the grid basically for the rest of the race um that little incident also helped stroll the king of race starts again just absolutely he, he gets a decent qualifying and then is just running p3 on lap one because of his start um then you start thinking oh my god stroll might be on the podium but no, no, that didn't happen. Russell also flew out of his box. He just absolutely flies past Perez, and he actually had to take to the escape road. He was really going to get squeezed on the exit of turn one there. Um, decides to 
take the escape road, as I said, really smart move. He was actually investigated for gaining an advantage, but they found out that basically he was going to get squeezed by Hulkenberg, and the person he came out behind was Hulkenberg, so I don't think they had an issue with it, and he did it by the books, so that was great news for Russell. From there, Max, of course, starts driving away from signs, um, but the Mercedes definitely looked the most alive at the start. Well, that was a car that was in the field, because there was basically two races that happened Sunday, Verstappen's race against himself and then the race for P2 uh, and the Mercedes looked the most alive in that second race Russell passed Alonso Hamilton pipped stroll back um, Hulkenberg was actually really starting to fall off I think those were kind of the early overtakes of the race that weren't on lap one Hulkenberg just starting to get passed by everyone and also Russell working his way up to P5 by lap 11 so a great start from him and then Works his way up to P5 by lap 11. Basically completely just uh, rectifies his terrible qualifying yesterday. And, and the Mercedes was looking great on race pace. But the reason that I was I was so fond of the Spanish Grand Prix is because moments like this where the likes of Joe, Hulkenberg, and Sonoda all went in for their first stops all before lap 15. And then they had a brilliant three-car battle. Hulkenberg actually had set the fastest lap when he went in. Um, and it was really showing that the tires just completely fall off. And then when you put on this new set of rubber, you're so much faster that it's a terrible idea to do a one-stop just because the tire drag is, is just so brutal, right? So it, it just seems like it's been an eternity since we've had a race like that. Like I can't even think of a two-stop race since Bahrain 2022 when there was a three-stop race. I know there has been one. I just, I just literally can't remember it. So um, awesome to see that variety of strategy. And that's why... Pirelli has to do a better job so this happens more often and not just that super tire-limited tracks like Barcelona. But anyway, first one of those three-car battles that I can recall this year. There may have been one, but I just I can't remember one. There needs to be more of that. But anyway, um, looking back into the kind of out-of-place runners, Leclerc and, P- and Perez just weren't really making the progress I expected. Perez w- was making moves, but... I thought, you know, like if, if Max was in that car in P11, he'd be getting the better start. He would already be past Russell up in P4 by lap 11, you know, not behind Russell. But anyway, Hamilton was really starting to catch Sainz. Sainz pits before Hamilton passed him on the track to stop the undercut. And Sainz was, again, questioning his team's race strategy. He said he had pace in hand and that he was trying to save his tires. And then they just bring him in early anyway and undo his tire management work. It didn't end up mattering. You know, Hamilton did when he pitted, which was literally like, he did like twice the stint of signs. They stayed out till lap 25, the Mercedes. Both of them just had so much more pace when they came out to catch signs. Um, they both, you know, caught and passed him easy later in the race. Russell had to re-overtake Stroll as well. But the, the Mercedes extending that first stint really, really helped them in their race time in the end. Uh, by the time Max pitted, he had a 29-second advantage over Perez, um, and he also retained his lead. He 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 was the last one to pit because he started on the mediums, and he had I think yeah it was 29. Perez was in P2 at that time because Perez was the only one who also on the mediums. So all the soft runners have already come in. They extended and and Verstappen stayed in the lead even though he was he pitted right. So um, that was good news for his end result, which we'll get to in a moment. But uh, they strapped the hards on the Red Bulls, and uh, Verstappen was was reporting that he wasn't very happy with this tire. And uh, 
I guess his pace advantage didn't really it it made it kind of it didn't matter that he was struggling on the tire, but he actually was starting to pick up some uh, some st- what I can't even think of the word. The stewards were basically just noting uh, track limit violations, um, and it actually led to a black and white flag later in the race, which I will also mention shortly. Fast forward to lap 46. Mercedes at this point were two three behind Verstappen. And Perez was in P4. It looked like kind of a battle. Was Perez going to catch Russell? Perez was on the hards. Russell was on the mediums. Mercedes thought, you know what? Instead of having this, you know, be a Perez hunting Russell down, we're going to have George come in with 20 laps to go, put on the softs, and hunt Perez down instead. Um, Russell was flying, really starting to make up ground on Perez. They reported, or Mercedes reported to him that they were going to be catching him. Which, again, I just feel like that wouldn't happen if it was Max Verstappen. But then uh, Red Bull opted to cover with Perez, and Hamilton actually did the same because then he had a free pit stop. So at this point, Verstappen, who was still struggling on those hards, he had a 39-second advantage. Then they decided to bring him in because they just had nothing to lose. So then they all just covered each other. They all were on softs at the end, and that was basically the end of the race for the top. So let's look back a little bit. Alonso really was struggling a lot throughout this race, um, but on his last stint, because he had a really long stint on the softs, he catches up to the back of Esteban Ocon, and it was a feisty defense from Ocon. Ocon loves to just really put his elbows out on Alonso. eh? It's pretty incredible, Um, but Alonso actually was asked about it after the race, and he didn't seem to uh, see any problem with it. It was just an aggressive defense, but it made for a pretty entertaining overtake. Speaking of aggressive defense, though, Sonoda and Joe, both of them were having a great race. On lap 56, Joe goes for the move on the outside as Sonoda was kind of starting to complain about the car a little bit in the late stages of the race again, and they almost touched. Joe had to take to the escape road. He he called out to his uh, team radio to say, Sonoda pushed him off, and uh, it was, I've seen worse, it was basically what Verstappen did to Sainz on lap one, but probably a little bit more aggressive from Sonoda, although I, it's hard to even say aggressive because Sonoda had full right lock um, trying to get back over to the inside of the corner, but he just couldn't, he, he had understeer, Joe had nowhere to go, so he probably would have went over the curb or possibly over the gravel had he not taken to the escape road. So Sonoda gets a five-second penalty, unfortunately, and it kind of just ends his his great work from the race. I think it was pretty harsh on Sonoda, but I also understand because if Joe hadn't you know taken evasive action, it probably would have ended up in an incident or just a massive moment for Joe where he would have lost out. So really unfortunate for Sonoda, but it's just one of those where I feel like they the stewards love to be harsh on uh, midfield teams to kind of set an example. But then when it comes to like a race defining moment, like in 2021, all the time with Hamilton and Verstappen, they always got it wrong because I feel like they faced too much pressure to ruin the race with a penalty. Anyway, that's another argument. I just wanted to give my thoughts on that. Alonso, again, I guess I could have mentioned this too. He, he caught up to the back of Stroll and I think probably had the pace to overtake him but Alonso just chilled in P7 and was like don't worry I'm not going to overtake him um, let's just take the points and get out of here because they had a pretty rough weekend but anyway I thought that was kind of weird like Alonso is the one who's ahead in the championship if you have so much more pace than Stroll just overtake him but anyway 
Um, Verstappen eventually did get that black and white flag on the final couple laps. He was asking GP, his his race engineer, what the fastest lap was, and it was a 16-6 from Perez, and, and GP said, don't worry, it was Perez's first lap out on softs. He had DRS, so I wouldn't worry about that. Let's just bring it home within the white lines because if he gets one more track limit violation, it's a five-second penalty. And Verstappen just goes ahead and sets the fastest lap with three tenths. Probably had five to eight laps on those soft tires at the time. So just again, just showing that he is toying with the competition at this point. And even though Mercedes, who, well, Verstappen and Hamilton were a set one-two, Perez was chasing Russell, and Mercedes was set for a great result, I really think that Verstappen probably could have finished even further ahead Um he had so much pace in hand, and I think in the last stint, he was definitely just bringing it home. But anyway, the that end spot for the podium, I could not believe that Paris could, didn't get it done. I mean, so basically, I'm giving, I'm telling you right now, it was Hamilton and, and Russell on the podium. So amazing, amazing job for Mercedes, who I also will talk more about soon. But what in the world, Paris? I mean, it's just so many things this weekend that just show that Perez is never going to be able to mount a challenge over on Verstappen. You know, there are certain weekends where Perez looks his equal. But then there's weekends like this where it just shows that Max is a different breed. Perez, you're not that guy. You're not that guy, pal. I'm sorry. It, it just that Verstappen would have never put in a performance that Perez just did over this weekend, you know, spinning or not spinning but going off in q2 and and getting knocked out there and then for the recovery drive which Verstappen has had to do because he's had issues in qualifying before Verstappen always has a great first stint that sets him up for the rest of the race you know it's just Perez always has a stint in in weekends like this where it just costs him a result um so yeah I, I I was really disappointed in Perez and it didn't help that the fact that I also told you guys about the freaking double Red Bull podium bet, and I didn't get it because of Perez. It's just brutal. But anyway, maybe a little bit salty. But the final results, Max Verstappen with a grand slam. That should have been my long shot of the weekend, but I I didn't know. I just thought Perez would uh, have a recovery drive, and it wouldn't have been a grand slam for Verstappen. But anyway, I should have known. Verstappen led every single session as well, all three practice sessions. The only one he didn't lead was Q1. But usually you don't call Q1, Q2, and Q3 sessions. It's just a qualifying session. Anyway, he even led Q2 and Q3. So it's just Q1 that he didn't lead. P2, though, Lewis Hamilton, driver of the day as well. George Russell took P3 from a from a P12 grid start. Great job there from him. P4 was Sergio Perez. Losing to a Mercedes when starting ahead of him is brutal. I don't know what else to to describe it as the performance was just disappointing from him i'd have to say signs took a comfortable non-competitive p5 ahead of the aston martins but not really in the fight of that p uh the top four then the aston martins were next p6 p7 uh alonso's definitely worst weekend and and aston's probably worst weekend overall as well p8 esteban ocon alpine would have hoped for more but at uh, that's kind of just what they can aspire for at this moment. They're, they're still not really um, quite there with the top four, but they are closing the gap. Just it wasn't meant to be this weekend. P9, Joe Guanyu, happy to see him and Alfa Romeo up in the points. Um, definitely helped by uh, 
the Leclerc just being nowhere and then Lando Norris um, getting knocked out of the race. But still, great job from him to capitalize on that. And then uh, the final P10 point went to Gasly, who could have been on for a much, much better result. But uh, a bad start in the race that I, I guess I didn't mention. But then those those two penalties too. He was on 15th on lap one. So it was just a recovery from him. And he was lucky to even get that one point thanks to that penalty for Yuki Sonoda because um, he did finish ahead on track. So tough bounce for Yuki and a tough race, but good job from Pierre to at least get one point. So the driver's standings, Max Verstappen is at 170 and Sergio Perez is 117. How it can happen so, so fast. Max points for Max and Perez only grabs those 12 points. So he is just a long, long ways, 53 points down now. Fernando Alonso is at 99. He's only 18 points behind Paris. Paris crashes out again, and, and Alonso grabs a P2, and they are tied in the championship. Insane. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, he is down at 87 points, 12 behind Fernando. George Russell is next with 65. So he's 22 points behind Lewis, and that's another thing. How, how it can change from a year to a uh, year with just a bit of luck. Uh, like George Russell was getting all the luck in the beginning of last season. And everyone was talking about how Lewis was washed. He was losing to his rookie teammate. And now this year's Lewis is getting a little bit more luck. And, and George has had some tough qualifying that he's had to, you know, have good recovery drives similar to Lewis. But then just because of that recovery and these guys are so evenly matched, George finishes behind Lewis. And it's just another chunk that Lewis takes out of the lead. And it was the same thing last year. These guys are just really evenly matched. Um, and right now Lewis is just uh, putting the weekend together a little bit better than George. That That's all. I imagine George will uh, get back on top um, in some weekends for sure, just because George is is a really special young driver. But anyway, Carlos Sainz, he is seven points behind George, and then Charles Leclerc a further 16 points behind his teammate now. He only is seven points ahead of Lance Stroll. So Stroll's in P8, Last of the bottom, uh, the top four teams with 35 points. He's only 10 points ahead of Esteban Ocon, who has 25. He, of course, uh, 15 of those points come from his podium. And then uh, Pierre Gasly has 15. Um, so there's your top 10. It's it's the top five teams. Uh, Lando Norris, I think, is next in, in 11th just because he had like a 10-point weekend in Australia. But... Then let's look at the constructors. Red Bull extends their place on top again with 287 points. Mercedes overtakes Ferrari. Uh, sorry, not Ferrari. Aston Martin for P2 in the constructors. 152 for them. 134 for Aston. Then further down is Ferrari with straight on 100. So Alonso has 99 points. Ferrari has 100. Just throwing that out there. Alpine with 40 points. They're kind of way behind the top four, but then way ahead of the next team, which is McLaren with 17. Haas and Alpha are now level with eight points, thanks to two points from Joe. And then it's Alpha Tire with two and Williams with one. Kind of crazy that those teams only have two and one points when Sonoda's been right there so many times. And then Williams, Albon running sixth in the Australian Grand Prix is still going to hurt them so, so much. If he was able to convert that into a P7, they're right in there with the Haas and the Alphas, but it just wasn't meant to be. So now let's get into the prize demise and surprise and the return of the championship segment. All right, time for the prize demise and surprise. And I have some honorable mentions for both. 
uh, for prize and demise, I should say. My surprise is uh, a no-brainer for me. So prize, I'm going to give it to Mercedes, but the honorable mention has to be Max Verstappen, who basically won the championship this weekend. I will get to that in a moment. Um, but I'm going to give the prize to Mercedes. I just don't want – the only reason I was hesitant to just fully commit to it was because it's only one weekend. Um, so I don't want to overreact, but it was a fantastic performance from them. I just don't know if they were flattered by uh, the underperforming Aston Martin or just the joke that is Ferrari. Speaking of Ferrari joke, the demise isn't them, but I'm just going to give it straight to Charles Leclerc. Just uh, the this year just continues to get worse for him. Ferrari was pretty pathetic and uh, they probably deserve an honorable mention here but I'm just going to give it to him because the fact that he is 18 points behind signs is insane um, you know just the two DNFs um, grid penalties uh, just it's just been an awful year and he was literally nowhere in this race kind of like Miami where again he at least finished P7 and, and not out of the points but Oh, to to be a whole race distance, I think the Mercedes could start from the pit lane and probably still probably would have finished, you know, P8 at the very worst here, not out of the points. So shocking, shocking from Leclerc and from Ferrari. The honorable mentions, though, of course, Perez um, has to be one. I didn't want to give it to him for a third weekend in a row. But uh, yeah, just I was pretty disappointed with his performance this weekend. And then the other one, McLaren, just because two two cars into Q3, um, Lando Norris on the second row, and they come away with no points is just a kind of a brutal blow for them um, if they wanted any chance of, of staying with the Alpines. But they just seem to be very, very limited by uh, temperature. When, when the track is cooler, they do so much better, and that's why they were so good in qualifying. And then it warms up the next day, and they're just nowhere. So hopefully they get on top of that because Lando's just way too good of a driver to be dealing with this stuff. So the surprise, it's Aston Martin. I mean, I don't know why their pace was so poor here. The kind of cliche, or I don't know if it's cliche is the right word. I guess it's, it is a bit of a cliche to talk about the Spanish Grand Prix as a kind of the measuring stick for your ultimate pace. Everyone says, if you do well here, you're going to do well pretty much everywhere, and uh, I think that's definitely a bit uh, hyperbolic, but still, you would think that a well-balanced car like the Aston, yeah, they struggle a bit on straight-line speed, and they don't have the ultimate downforce that a Red Bull has, but they're the closest thing to a Red Bull, um, just without the straight-line speed, and they were just really not quite there this weekend, which is kind of surprising. Um, they were better than Ferrari, maybe? I don't even know I could say that because Sainz seemed on top of his car and then Leclerc just couldn't deal with whatever underlying issue he had. He had a gremlin in his car. But, uh, yeah, just strange um, to see uh, just such a, poor, such a poor weekend from Alonso. And then, you know, I think what we saw from Stroll is what you'd expect from Stroll, even if Aston Martin was having a good weekend with Alonso. But, when Alonso's not doing well, you know something's up. So I wonder if there was just something that they couldn't really fully optimize their floor um, from quality. But even in practice, Aston Martin wasn't uh, sensational this weekend. So that definitely comes as a surprise. I thought 
Fernando would have been uh, locked in for another podium. And the only reason I didn't suggest betting on a Fernando podium was because it was minus 200. It was it's the first time the sports books finally gave Alonso some respect to sit on the podium. And uh, he was nowhere near. So I'm kind of glad that they didn't give me minus 110 money because I probably would have taken it. But anyway, we're not talking about Brad's bets because now we're going into the return of the championship segment where I don't just talk about the driver's championship top spot and the constructors championship top spot i pick a battle that's going on like last year the the battle for for p4 was sensational between mclaren and alpine and in the battle for p6 between aston alfa romeo was great um there's a p8 battle between Haas and alfa tauri last year all of that um was interesting but the battle that i've chosen to start with um i will get into some other ones throughout the year I think the one that everyone is looking forward to the most, and that is uh, the battle between Mercedes, Ferrari, and Aston Martin for P2. So I've written down a few notes here, um, and I think I just have to start off by saying that Mercedes had a fantastic weekend, and things are looking up. Uh, I think it's kind of a similar feeling um, from what we had with Aston Martin and Bahrain, it's just great news to be this competitive with the first iteration of a concept. Um, but like I said in the prize, um, it's just one track. So cautious optimism. And for Aston, like I said in the surprise, it's just so strange that they've had their worst weekend here. You know, you think it would have been in Melbourne or Jeddah where you need a bit more straight line speed and tire deg is less important because Aston is so good on their tires. So it's kind of puzzling um, that they struggled so much here, but Alonso will be there all year for sure. And Ferrari is just, like I said with Leclerc, it's just, they're a joke. So um, I I don't know what's going on there. I think, you know, Ferrari will continue to have great qualifying performances and be a bit of a thorn in the side of, of the Aston and the Ferrari or the Aston and the Mercedes for most of the year in qualifying. But I honestly don't think they have what it takes um, to be there all year in the races. They'll have some good races. I imagine a Ferrari will be on the podium again this year. Don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, I think I definitely back Mercedes and Aston Martin to finish ahead of Ferrari. So I think Ferrari is almost locked into P4 unless they turn it around fast. And I don't have faith in them to do that so basically what do i think is going to happen between mercedes and aston martin so after this weekend it would be definitely easy to overreact and be like oh mercedes they're they're on top of it they're the closest to red bull now um even though we know that's probably they're not probably not going to close the gap this year for sure um but i still think overall we might have to say that the Aston is still the best package because we didn't see a a proper Aston Martin this weekend and a proper Fernando Alonso. The only issue that Aston has, even if they do turn it around and in Canada they're back on top, it's just they don't have the driver lineup. Mercedes just has relentless consistency. Their drivers are so good and they maximize what they can do every single weekend. Aston Martin doesn't they're not the same operational race team as Mercedes either even um, if Alonso is driving the wheels off the car I'm not sure that if Mercedes is on the same pace that Aston would have the strategy chops and be able to uh, make sure that their driver is coming out ahead we haven't really seen a 
fair fight in that sense. I think Australia was the only one between it was Hamilton and Alonso, and again, Mercedes came out on top. But uh, yeah, so with that said, I just think the order stays the way it is. I think Mercedes, um, even if this um, performance from this weekend isn't uh, what we're going to see from the Mercedes from the rest of the year, even if it's the Mercedes that we've been used to, which is arguably the fourth quickest team, I actually think that just because of their driver lineup and uh, their team experience, I think Mercedes gets it done over Aston Martin. Um, so I'm just hoping that uh, this performance from Mercedes is real and they can continue to understand this car concept and prepare for 2024 where Red Bull will be heavy favorites for sure next year um, and Max will probably be a four-time champion at the end of 2024, which is crazy to say he is one win behind Ayrton Senna for those who don't know um Red Bull yeah I I just hope that next year it won't be a foregone conclusion who will win every single weekend which speaking of which um I know that's been a storyline that's been going on all year and I haven't really addressed it and that is will Red Bull win every single race this year and I think it's an interesting question because you're basically like Red Bull has the performance to win every single race this week, uh, this year. And by the end of the year, it's such a large gap that I'm not sure we're going to see a Mercedes kind of charge at the end of the season like we saw last year. And of course, if Red Bull had the advantage that they had at the end of last year, at the beginning, um, we wouldn't have had all those Ferrari wins and it could have been the actually the exact same story. Just, of course, a bit closer because even at times Mercedes was there, thereabouts. For this year, it's Red Bull's way ahead. But I don't see that same charge that we're going to see from Mercedes in the development race like last year. I don't think anyone's going to catch up. So the question is not, will Red Bull win every single race this year? I think the question should be, are they going to be able to maximize the weekend every single weekend? Because Red Bull's maximum is always going to be the race win. It's not going to be because some other team is faster than Red Bull. It's going to be because Red Bull shoot themselves in the foot one weekend and we get one crazy win from an Alonso or a Mercedes or maybe someone else. So basically, it's just a gamble. Do you really think that Red Bull is going to have one just horrendous weekend where Max breaks down and Perez goes off or something or they crash into each other? So that's basically it and it's basically hard to predict but in such a long calendar I do have a hard time believing that uh, every single weekend for Red Bull is going to be perfect it's just a little bit scary when you see Max Verstappen easily coming back to win in Miami from a compromised grid slot so what has to happen something has to happen to Max he has to be retired he can't even be in the race or he has to have a piece of Alpha Tari in his floor like in Silverstone so uh Something has to happen to Max, and then Perez has to lose. Or, you know, of course, something can happen to him too, but then that's even more unlikely because two of the last three races, we haven't even had a goddamn yellow flag. So to be hoping for a Max Verstappen retirement at this point is uh, wishful thinking. I'll say that. Um, so anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Before I wrap up here, guys, next week is the preview of the Canadian Grand Prix. So a friend of the podcast will be joining again. Tim Haraney has been on this twice. He re- he previewed the Canadian Grand Prix with me last year, and then I also interviewed him during the summer break uh, and talked a little bit about his racing career, which was very interesting. You can go back and check that out. It's easy to find with the link tree. You can find podcast pages on there, right? So 
go check that out. And uh, if you guys don't know Tim and you're a bit newer to the podcast, he always covers the Canadian Grand Prix with TSN, one of Canada's top sports networks. So it's always awesome to hear from him and it'll be a great conversation. That will do it though for episode 57 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 58 on Monday to preview the Canadian Grand Prix with my friend Tim. I really hope that I get to go there one of these days. Um, But, you know, I really do always love how much the drivers enjoy the weekend in my home country. Uh, So I hope I enjoy the race as well. Goodbye.